The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off! Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. All right, glad everybody survived another new year and very glad that you're here to join us today. Also joining us today in the first portion of the program will be Marketing and Communications Director Jen Royce of Three Chimneys Farm. She joined on with them in 2008, and Jen oversees all advertising, marketing, television, print advertising, public relations, media relations. And uh, what's been a recent story, and a good one at that, is that she handles all the farm's equine aftercare efforts and outreach, and Three Chimneys has really gone above and beyond in that area. Also with us, one of our favorite handicappers from the Las Vegas Review-Journal, it is Rich Ang, their columnist and handicapper, of course, author of Racing for Dummers, Dummies and handicapper for ProPicking.com. So uh, those will be our guests, and uh, I guess uh, w- without a doubt the, uh, the headline of the day is the fact that Gary Stevens announced uh, this afternoon that he will, in fact, be returning to the saddle. A couple times on this program, we've said he's coming back, and then he came out and announced he wasn't coming back, and I got to be in on an interview with him today, and I'll give you some quotes and uh, uh, just kind of general uh, uh, comments that uh, that Gary made as, as best I can. You know, he'll be uh, 50 years old in March. Uh, since being with HRTV, he went up to as much as 146 pounds. But as we were talking about, he had been up in Washington State and working out quite a bit, and uh, has a personal trainer, and uh, he is now down to 119 and says he's very comfortable, even if he has to knock a couple off that. Uh, when questioned, of course, uh, about he said, my knees are 70%. Uh, he says he's on no medications, no anti-inflammatory, and he said that's not the way he used to ride. Uh, he said, I'm a pretty healthy guy right now. And uh, <clears throat> the overnight that came out for Santa Anita, and he'll be making his start in the sixth race. Uh, I believe it's his only mount, a $50,000 claimer on a horse by the name of Jabrika, if you're, if you're looking for his first mount. Now, uh, basically, Gary said that been riding good horses for good trainers. Uh, due to the rehab, his pain is gone. Uh, he went through a seven-stage diet. Uh, he, he also has a uh, nutritionist and a sports psychologist. And according to Gary, he said, I don't know the pain won't come back, but the workouts I'm doing are telling me I'm okay. I'm as fit as I was in my 20s. The risk is worth the reward at this time in my life. Uh, he did say he's going to be selective in what he rides, uh, 
He's going to ride quality horses with a future. Uh, People try to ask him for some of the names. He says, I'm not giving names out. That's bad luck. But all I can tell you is I'm working with quality trainers. So uh, Gary Stevens will be back in the saddle. He will also continue on with HRTV. He says he has their support. And he says one of the things that's kind of helped him get back in the saddle is that with his job as an analyst on HRTV, he sees racing differently now than he did when he was in the saddle. So uh, good luck to Gary Stevens. Uh, wish him nothing but the best, and it'll be interesting to see what those quality horses are that he is expected to get on. Well, let's uh, take uh, a look uh, back at uh, 2012. It looks like Fort Larned, the winner of this year's uh, Breeders' Cup Classic at Santa Anita, of course, three other graded stakes, including the Whitney, he was the leading horse with three million five hundred ninety-eight thousand four hundred fifty-five in earnings. Second to him was Little Mike. He came in second with two point six million dollars. A guest on uh, Winning Ponies this year, Ramon Dominguez, the jockey that piloted uh, Little Mike to victory in the Breeders' Cup Turf in the Arlington Million. He was the leading jockey. His ounce, his mounts earned. Javier Castellano was second with $22,441,000. Todd Pletcher only saddled 233 horses to victory from 854 starters. He was the leading trainer with earnings of over $20 million. Of course, uh, Shanghai Bobby is going to be one we're going to watch in this uh, upcoming year. Bob Baffert, he was second in the trainer standings with just over $15 million. And no surprise here, Midwest Thoroughbreds, uh, known for racing stable of primary quality claimers across the entire country, was the leading owner. John Oxley came in second with over $5.1 million. So uh, congratulations to all of them. Of course, we I just closed out the New York season, and uh, Ramon Dominguez just tore him up. You can see why he was the champion rider this year. Uh, you got to think about it. He's 36 years old now. Twice this year, he rode six winners, and he had four five-win days as well, winning over $25 million. And for those that were uh, watching the uh, the trainer's title in New York, uh, it came down to the last of uh, training, and it went to Rick Dutro and David Jacobson, both of them having wins on, on the final day. They ended up tying there in New York. Uh, Rosie Napravnik, well, she closed out her career as the highest-ranked female jockey in history. I shouldn't say her career, her career best, actually. Um, just uh, finished the year with over $12 million in purse earnings, 193 wins, 191 seconds, and 167 thirds. And uh, that puts her ahead of uh, Hall of Fame jockey Julie Crone, who's been with us here on uh, Winning Pony. She set the record in 1988. So uh, Rosie, the eighth leading rider in the country as far as earnings are concerned. Of course, right now she is doing a great job down in New Orleans. She opened up the meet already with 33 wins. I believe she's got back-to-back titles down there. Uh, Another jockey that doesn't get a whole lot of headlines, but uh, he certainly went over his cliff, uh, was Rodney Prescott. He hit the three 
thousand win mark. Now, Rodney's an individual I've known personally, and a kinder, gentler guy there isn't. A solid family man, a hard worker, and he's already got to the three thousand career plateau. And uh, he did it for Wayne Mogi, a guy that uh, that. Road Rodney, I recall when he was an apprentice, so it's kind of cool that those two guys hooked up together for Rodney Prescott's 15th, and uh, it was uh, quite an eventful uh, month for Rodney. Uh, he was one of five jockeys nominated for the George Wolf Memorial Award, of course, a very prestigious award because it recognizes the North American thoroughbred jockey who exemplifies high standards in his personal and professional life, and you are, of course, nominated and voted upon a, a great uh, a feeling that the guys you work with respect you. Um, on the sidelines for a little we sidelined at least two weeks after sustaining a hairline fracture of his T3 vertebrae in his back and a spill at Aqueduct on New Year's Eve. We certainly wish him a quick return. They're just thinking a couple of weeks. They're going to reevaluate him, and then we'll find out. Uh, We mentioned a bit of a a cliff. Well, guess what? The NTRA protected horse players from added taxation in the fiscal cliff deal. Uh, They uh, sent their lobbyists there, and it looks like uh, with the legislation passed, the uh, tax code that exempts wagering losses from being subject to the newly ex- enacted limitations on deductions uh, are going to uh, be okay. So save those losing tickets, my friends. Uh, they are uh, still uh, able to be deducted as a part of your cost of playing the game. As we were reporting uh, on this show last week, the Eclipse Awards were popping up on the screen one by one. Didn't have a chance to read them all, but uh, some of the people that will be recognized at the Eclipse Awards. Uh, one is Mary Simon, and uh, she is the wife of Mark Simon, who was the uh, the editor of the Thoroughbred Times. Of course, uh, they have uh, no longer with us, but uh, she she won the uh, the award. Uh, for writing, and Mary's just an outstanding writer. She's uh, she's written books, and uh, she is uh, just a fantastic person. Really loves loves the game. Uh, it was an examination of the history and the current status of race day medication that got her her award. And then the uh, Media Eclipse Award went to uh, Ryan Goldberg, who wrote a very moving story on Ibar and Kieber Koa. Of course, Ibar uh, is. Uh, Coming back from injuries, he'll probably never ride again. But nonetheless, uh, uh, Kieber got the word that his dad was uh, very uh, in bad shape uh, when he was just going to the Lafitte Binkai Jockey School in Panama. And as it turns out, this kid's going to be quite a successful apprentice jockey. Uh, in this category, honorable mention went to Barbara Livingston, who's been a guest with us here on Winning Ponies. And uh, she uh, she actually wrote the story. She's known as a photographer, which she did have nice stories with it, but it was a story about juvenile champion Lord Avey, uh, who uh, we lost this week, I believe, at the age of 34. Uh, NBC took home the, uh, the Television uh, Media Eclipse Award. He did a darn good job. They had 48 cameras throughout Churchill Downs for its teleclass, including 18 hard cameras and 14 handhelds. Uh, 
the uh, part of the cast was uh, Tom Hammond, Bob Costas, uh, analyst Gary Stevens, soon to be Jackie Gary Stevens, uh, Randy Moss, uh, Lafitte McKay III, Jerry Bailey, Jay Pribman, Kenny Rice, Adana Brothers, uh, many of these who have been on these airways with us here at Winning Ponies also took part in getting that. And the Eclipse Awards are going to be televised uh, live on HRTV. Uh, so this will, uh, uh, for those of you that have HRTV, the 42nd Annual Eclipse Awards, you'll be able to watch them. And once again, Janine Edwards will be hosting those Eclipse Awards. Uh, that would be between 8 and 10.30 Eastern Standard Time on January 19th. He was selected by Danny Pearlswig as a 37 thousand dollar purchase and went on to become uh, a champion so we will miss uh, lord avey and uh, harlan's holiday horse i saw win his first stakes race at little river downs he has uh, set the top juvenile mark uh he's the champion juvenile sire his uh, two-year-old earnings in a single year were 2.9 million dollars very uh pleased to see the, him go on to be a, a good one coming from the Buckeye State. All right, let's take a quick look at uh, last week's races. Bob Railbert Roberts from Cleveland was with us. Jen Royce is going to be with us soon. She's also from the Cleveland area. Uh, we started out with the Daytona. Sad to say, it was moved to dirt. Seven scratches, only five went. And going to the top was Comet at the top. A gelding, we said, was keeping very good company. Raced against the likes of Mr. Commons and Amazombie. <clears throat> At uh, Santa Anita, it was the uh, Robert Frankel Stakes, and we said, well, it might be the Simon Callaghan Stakes. And, in fact, it turned out to be he had three starters in there, and his Caraba, a, a horse who was coming in from England, uh, only one start here, and that was at Hollywood Park. Huge effort and an optional claimer. Julian Le Peru back in the saddle was last at the six furlong marker and got home on top at the mile and an eighth at Santa Anita. Then we went down to Gulfstream Park to the Mr. Prospector, and it was table turning time for Indiano and Martin Wolfson. Indiano turned the tables on action Andy. Indiano checked in first at 17 to 1. Off the jack was just better than favorite action Andy. And then the last race that we did with Bob was the uh, the Dave's friend and in there horse I like because of the tough company he kept in 2012 three year old taking out his elders Il Villano came home on top in the Dave's friend okay as I told coming up with us is going to be uh, Jen Royce from Three Chimneys Farm right now we're going to take a quick break you're listening to Winning Pony. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Pascal, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. 
Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. Back goes O'Neal. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we cover everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, back here at Winning Ponies, and this is going to be an exciting interview. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, last week, I read a story by Janet Patton and the uh, Herald Leader, and she talked about the, the great efforts that uh, Three Chimneys Farm is taking at uh, making sure that anybody that has their brand on them, perhaps by one of their stallions or that was bred by them, uh, was in partnership with them, uh, gets care throughout its entire career. And uh, I, I reached out and I landed upon an individual, their communications director, Jen Reutz, um, she came on with Three Chimneys in 2008. She over- oversees all the advertising, marketing, web page, uh, this aftercare outreach that we're eventually going to get to. A balls there, but it, it sounds like she's kind of found her uh, dream job. She uh, comes out of Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, she has a background in thoroughbreds and performance horses. Uh, went to Moorhead State, where she got her BA in advertising and public relations. And then I go on to read about the the other thing she does. I, I don't know when she sleeps. She's on the board of the Make a Wish uh, Foundation, the Kentucky chapter advisory board for the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. She's involved in Ronald McDonald House of the Bluegrass, the Race for Education. Uh, wow, that's a mouthful. Okay, with me right now, Jen Royce from Three Chimneys. Jen, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm okay. Uh, all I know, like I said, I when, when do you sleep with all these uh, duties you have? I'm not a good sleeper, so I try to stay busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, uh, you know, th- Three Chimneys is uh, just uh, such, such a a legendary farm uh, goes goes back to '72, starting with ten stalls and a tobacco barn. Uh, but then all of a sudden, you start looking at some of the names that have called it home: uh, Capote, Rahi, Slew of Gold, Dynaformer, and my favorite, Seattle Slew, which I remember going to his retirement party down there. I mean, it's just it's just a who's who. Well, what's it like to walk down the stallion a barn there? It's it's an unbelievable job. I pinch myself every day that I get to work there. And it's funny because 
I definitely have a little bit of horse crazy in me, so I keep this huge bowl of peppermints in my office. And, you know, if I get writer's block or I just need to take a step away from my desk, it's really unbelievable cool that I can just grab a fistful of peppermints and I can walk down to the stallion barn and play with Big Brown and, you know, feed like Icebox and Brilliant Speed, all these peppermints and Flower Alley. So it's really neat. I mean, on any level, be having a job like that at Three Chimneys, but for a horse person who's been, you know, horse-obsessed and thoroughbred-obsessed for their whole life, to be that, you know, up close and personal with those horses, it's just, I mean, it's a dream come true. Now, one thing you do, I'll tell you right now, I'm looking at a 16 by 20 of Seattle Slough that, that, that hangs in my den, and I'm not going to mention the farm where I took the picture. <laughs> he was a little chubby. You know, I mean, he was called Baby Huey when he was a yearling. What I love about what you guys do, and when I was down there, actually, Angel Cadero got to got to do this, is that you ride your stallions. I think that's fantastic. It's yeah, I do too. Um, it's really cool because I mean, it's good for their mind and it's good for their body. We um we are much more open to the public than most farms are. We do daily public tours and we have open houses that are geared just for fans, where literally we have thousands of people in that um, stallion division. And so it's much more important for us to have stallions who are well-mannered with people than it might be for other farms, just because of that liability of having so many non-horse people there on a regular basis. So riding the stallions every day, it just kind of helps to get the giggles out, you know? Like, it takes the edge off of them. It makes them so much easier to deal with and Horses love to have a routine, and they love to have a job, so it, it keeps them ha- as happy as it does healthy. And um, the gentleman who rides the stallion six days a week, Brian, has got this unique background of uh, being a dressage rider, and he also rode at the racetrack. So he knows how to teach a horse how to move properly and use himself properly, but at the same time, he can handle a tough horse on the racetrack. So it's perfect because these horses come from the racetrack and a lot of times they're very heavy on their forehand and they're just kind of hanging on the bit and they're much tougher on their front end than they are on their hind end. And he teaches them how to move with their hind end and through their back and neck and shoulders and just, you know, keeps them really fit and gives them a really nice top line too. Because if you ride a horse properly, it really develops their top line, which and when brooders come out there, they see a, a much nicer package physically. So it helps in so many different ways. I'm sure. Now, I've got to ask you this. I mean, you've just got three excellent stallions, a Brilliant Speed, a Caleb's Posse, and Icebox. Now, will you ride them, or will you give them some tiny pasture time to kind of take the old racing edge off? <laughs> well, they're all getting the turnout time right now. Um, and they, I mean, horses have such different personalities, you know? So like brilliant speed trans transition really quickly. He's kind of, he's got Dynaformers, a little bit of Dynaformers temper, but his attitude of, you know, he takes everything in stride. There's not much that gives him a reason to get riled up. So he's adapted really quickly and he'll start getting ridden either this winter, if it's a mild winter or in the spring, Caleb's posse is a little bit more high-strung, so it's been a much different and much slower process to gradually get him going on turnout and just kind of let him down from the track. Um, and he 
he had just a lot of little nagging issues from the track, like nothing mind-blowing, but just, you know, sore knees, an ankle that if he pounds too hard on it playing outside, it might, you know, bother him a day later. So we're going to take it a little slower than him. And if he's one that can be written, great. If not, we also have a, a Eurosizer, an electric walker that he can go on, or we can hand walk or, you know, do round pen work. So there's a lot of different things we can do if they don't get written. Well, what was it like for the Three Chimneys gang at the Kentucky Derby this year when a son of Flower Alley went on to win the run for the Roses? Oh, my goodness. It was huge. It was was so much fun. It was so awesome. Um, Doug O'Neill, when he got this horse in his barn as a two-year-old, most of us in the office did not know him at all. We knew his name, and that's about it. And he started contacting us just saying, you guys are going to want to keep an eye on this horse. He's really good. He's scary good. He's better than even I know. And so we just, you know, we were thrilled to hear that, and we kept our eye on him. But a lot of people think that when they have a two-year-old who's not raced, (laughs) and then they race, and their expectations are adjusted. And um, the horse just kept getting better and better, and he won the Santa Anita Derby, and we started thinking, well, one good derby deserves another. So, you know, we got excited when he was going to the Kentucky Derby and then winning that was just unreal. And it's been great because the farm as a whole, as well as a lot of us individually, have really developed a great relationship with him. And, you know, like I was talking about doing the fan open houses and he and the jockey, the owners, the whole team behind all have another came to the fan open house to meet fans this year before the Derby. It was the first day before the Derby and they signed autographs and met fans and talked to them. And so they've just, I mean, they've really embraced the fan side, which I love for the sport. And um, we've got a great relationship with them too. So it was so much fun to just be part of the whole, all have another team and the ride through the triple crown. Well, and really what you said there, you know, a big difference between Three Chimneys and a lot of other farms are your fan initiatives, uh, social media, uh, fan events, tours. Um, I'm going to have to have you back on just to talk about that. But what I want to talk a bit about now, and it's something that obviously falls on your desk in, in the morning, is the fact that you are in charge of the farm's equine aftercare efforts. Uh, We've got a couple minutes left. Can you tell our audience what what it is Three Chimneys doing to try to make sure that those that have passed through your farm get taken care of later in life? Yeah, definitely. Um, for a long time, Three Chimneys has been uh, very proactive about, you know, if they have a horse that runs for them or has ever been owned by the farm. Um, if it retires as a Three Chimneys owned horse, it retires to the farm, gets rehabbed or let down whatever it needs after the racetrack and then gets adopted out responsibly. And um, in the last few years, with the advent of social media and the proliferation of social media, it's really made aftercare and what happens to these thoroughbreds once their racing careers are over a hot-button issue, and with good reason. I mean, it's, it's one of the most important things our industry can do, both from an ethics standpoint and from a public relations standpoint. And um, so we decided to make a much more formal protocol and expand what we were already doing. So we came out in 2011, I believe, with our protecting our own protocol. Basically, it states that any horse that retires while owned by Three Chimneys will 
retire, you know, to the farm, be adopted out responsibly. Any of our clients' horses that are in need of placement after their racing career, we will assist them in any way we can with that too. Um, and when we do that, we make sure that um, we have the horse, you know, as ready for a second career as he can be or she can be. We ask the person who's interested in adopting a horse for tree references that speak to uh, the horsemanship and where the horse is going to be stabled and their overall, like, ethics and character and whatnot. Um, If they pass that background check, then they have to sign um, a contract with us stating what that horse is and is not to be used for. And they have to keep us updated for the following several years about how the horse is doing and just give us, you know, a few updates so we are confident that that horse is thriving in his second home. That then also extends to horses who have passed through the farm, um, being owned by the farm. Maybe they were boarded at the farm. Maybe we sold them on behalf of someone else. And even horses who are by our stallions and maybe we have no other attachment to that horse than they are by Dynaformer or by Point Given. And so we make sure that we try to assist in any way we can with any of those horses who are affiliated with our farm and our brand in any way. And unfortunately, times come up when maybe it's that horse being in a bad situation. Maybe it's being in a situation where it could be potentially bound for slaughter or it's in a situation of neglect or something like that because as much as we don't want it to happen in the industry, it it does happen in probably more than we even know. So we're very vigilant about dealing with the situation and figuring out the circumstances later. You know what I mean? Like the number one priority is if that horse is in any way affiliated with three chimneys, we get it out of the situation, get it into a safe long-term situation for itself, and then go about the process of finding out, you know, how it got there. And a lot of times that's all handled quietly behind the scenes because many times the last owner of record had nothing to do with getting the horse to where it was. So right, yeah. We, um, yeah, we try to deal with that as much as we can and just assist in any way we can. So it's definitely become a big part of my job, but it's my favorite part of my job is giving back to these horses. Well, we've been talking with Jen Royce of uh, Three Chimneys Farm, and uh, Jen, you, you've got to promise me you'll come back because there's so many parts of Three uh, Chimneys, uh, again, as far as uh, the way you'd have fan events and social media and the fact that you've got offices in Japan, France, and Great Britain. There's a lot more to know about Three Chimneys, but I see my producer tapping on the window right now, and he's not making a very kind gesture. So <laughs> my, my my back is up against it. Uh, Jen Royce, thanks so much for being on Winning Ponies, and we will be back in touch with you. And I really applaud your efforts at, uh, at at finding homes for the horses that have come through Three Chimneys. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Every Wednesday, you'll want to talk sports with touchdown Tony Collins and his co-host Bill Mattis. Tony's broken records and has been to the Pro Bowl and the Super Bowl. We'll talk about what's happening in sports every week with news, action, and notable guests from all aspects of the sports world. We'll also involve you by discussing questions and topics of interest sent in via email from listeners all over the world. Become what you believe. 
Tune in to Sports Talk with Touchdown Tony Collins. Wednesdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. We some hard hitters. We some hard hitters. Hard-hitting radio is a new kind of sports and entertainment show. Your hosts are NFL veterans Mark McMillan and co-host Byron Evans. It's an hour of hater-free radio every week. You'll hear interviews with top athletes, celebrities, coaches, and fans. It's humor, hits, and conversation. Hard-hitting radio is on with McMillan and Evans. Listen Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Network. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me, one of my favorite uh, guests, handicappers, and people. His name is Rich Eng. He's a columnist and handicapper for the Las Vegas Review Journal. Uh, he dedicated a book that he wrote to me for me uh, called Racing for Dummies, still available on Amazon. And uh, he's a handicapper for uh, uh, ProPicking.com. You can follow him on Twitter, at Rich Eng, the number four pro pick. How you doing, my friend? Hey, very good, John. Very good. And uh, I, just, I just want to correct the, the title of the book. It's uh, Betting on Horse Racing for Dummies. So uh, I want people to go out there, especially if you got a newcomer who's you know, brand new to the sport. Everybody knows how difficult this sport is to try to teach somebody. And uh, Dummies books are excellent for any sort of topic. And the one I wrote is about getting started in horse racing and handicapping. So if you got anybody in mind, uh, that would be a great gift for uh, somebody to, to get them going in the, the road to horse racing. Yeah, I know. You know, it's in, nothing better than bringing somebody new to the track. But when you you got to admit, and it's been our job for most of our life, is trying to break down uh, this massive amount of information that can be thrown at a person when they're trying to handicap a race and try to take baby steps, you know, to, to bring them along to understand, uh, you know, distance, surface, the importance of jockey trainer combinations, uh, the development of a horse. Uh, then, then we can get into bias and speed figures. But I think it's all about baby steps, and your book does a great job of that. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's been very popular, and I've gotten a lot of great uh, feedback and uh, I encourage readers to, you know, stay in touch with me. Uh, my email address is uh, underneath my column every Friday, and for people who obviously aren't here in Las Vegas, they can read my material off lvrj.com. I have a daily handicap of Southern California in the Friday column, and as I said, my email is on the bottom. And uh, for those of uh, your listeners who maybe uh, want to take a shortcut, uh, well, that, that's my other project is the, the Pro Pick Racing Project. Uh, 
uh, I lead a stable of handicappers, and we go through the simulcast cards around the country and try to uh, put forward some uh, some plays that we like, and hopefully we win more than we lose and uh, show, a, show a profit for the folks. And that's more of a shortcut for those who maybe don't want to do all the work. But let us do the work, and hopefully we can guide you in the right direction. Well, and uh, that's why I like to have you on because you do do the work. Now, before we uh, start looking at the races that we want, we want to handicap uh, today. Mm-hmm. Um, let's look in the rearview mirror. I think when the last time I talked to you, I was saying, "Boy, Rich, isn't this great? All these horses that were good two-year-olds have turned out to be solid three-year-olds." And then, as the Triple Crown and the rest of the year unraveled, we kept finding them. Go on the shelf, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Look at look in the rear view. What are some of the big stories that, that that stick out to you? I mean, obviously, one that's not in the face of American people is, is the amazing career of Frankel over in Europe. Yeah, Frankel and uh, Black Caviar were two international stars. We never got to see them in this country, but you know, people did have a chance to watch their races on uh, either one of the two networks, HRTV or TVG. They did do a good job uh, of uh, presenting their their progress overseas. And, uh, but, you know, in this country, uh, the biggest story I thought was from the spring in the Triple Crown when I'll have another won all four of his races this spring and won the Kentucky Derby in the Preakness and uh, w- was on the verge of uh, attempting to win the Triple Crown in the Belmont. And he got uh, injured and scratched on the eve of the race. And uh, uh, that was kind of a big thud, you know, you, not that often anymore that we get horses going for the triple crown and he looked like he had a heck of a shot if he could have run you know back to his preakness back to his derby he had run some consistent numbers and um he was actually john my leading horse of the year candidate all year long and uh for me john it, it came down to uh, a horse called wise dan and uh, i was looking for a horse uh, to step forward in the breeders cup to surpass what I'll have another had accomplished uh, this past year. And if, uh, for example, the Wise Dan had not won his race, I probably would uh, ended up voting for I'll have another for horse of the year. But I ended up uh, voting for Wise Dan as my first choice, and I'll have another as my second choice. But it could have gone the other way if uh, Wise Dan hadn't come up big. And, you know, Charlie LaPresse did a phenomenal job. Uh, the only loss uh, in this horse's six-year, six-race career this year was uh, a nose in the foster. Oh, really? And that was a one heck of a field. Yeah, that was one heck of a field. He lost to a horse called Ron the Greek, who had uh, earlier in the spring won the Santa Anita handicap. So, you know, this was not chopped liver. And if uh, people get a chance to watch the replay, I, I firmly believe that if uh, this horse had seen the other horse coming, uh, he might have been able to dig in and fight him off. But uh, Ron the Greek came so fast to him, he just, he just got him on the head, Bob. I think another great story uh, was, was was Groupie Doll. You know, here's a, a horse coming off a farm that I think has 18 horses in Frankfurt, Kentucky. Of course, they always thought that Brass Hat uh, would be the, the greatest horse that they would ever have. And uh, to, to have this horse uh, become as sensationally as she did and taking on the boys in the Cigar Mile, I mean, that was one heck of a story for the year, too. That is a good story, John. I'm glad you brought that up. That was actually my, my third horse uh, rated in the horse of the other ballot. Uh, she was third. And, you know, our sport is kind of dominated by uh, people like Bob Bafford and Todd Pletcher and Steve Asmussen and those types. That they have huge barns and they've got all the richest owners in the business. But you're really the meat and potatoes for this game is the small barn, the small owner, the small trainer. And uh, Buff Bradley has, has 
done as much with with little as as anybody in the game that with the horses you mentioned. And uh, you got to root for someone who's who really uh, puts his blood, sweat, and tears in it, and uh, has done a phenomenal job. Uh, she had a tremendous, tremendous year, and he doesn't have a lot of horses to to fall back on. So if a groupie doll doesn't develop, well, he doesn't have that many left in reserve. I, I think, uh, again, as long as we're talking about what I feel are feel-good stories of the year, it was uh, Ian Wilkes' uh, belief in Brian Hernandez and Fort Larned and the fact that these guys weren't afraid to duck anybody. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Brian Hernandez is, you know, not a common household name in the sport. And I remember, you know, in the Breeders' Cup Classic at the top of the stretch, you're thinking – well, he was going up against, I believe, Mike Smith in the stretch run, and uh, most people would have put their two dollars on Mike Smith out riding him to the wire, but Any that day. didn't happen. And uh, that was just a phenomenal work. And Ian Wilkes is one of those guys. I I love betting his horses because they usually don't get overbet. He's not one of those trainers like I was just mentioning. So when he has a live horse, you usually get good value, and this is horses are ready to go. So Ian Wilkes is a, one of my favorite trainers to look at in the simulcast market. Well, um, I, I started the top of the show with a story that might be one of the best in 2013, the comeback of Gary Stevens. What do you think? Yeah, I was watching the announcement. Uh, I, I kind of got inkling of it for, just from following it on Twitter. It was, it was a poorly kept secret. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was watching his interview with uh, Kurt Hoover and Christina uh, Blacker on HRTV and, uh, you know, Gary's done a, a lot of uh, mercurial things in, in horse racing. He, he's he's not afraid to try something and also to try something more than once. And the, typically he's very good at it, whether it's acting or riding. He trained for a while, and, you know, he was a bloodstock agent. And, you know, the thing about athletes, and not just jockeys, but athletes in all lines of uh, sport, whether you're football, baseball, hockey, uh, you know, basketball, whatever, is that competitive fire is within someone, and even if their body starts to tell them, well, you can't quite play at the same level anymore, um, you know, they may have to retire. And the thing about jockeys is uh, uh, if you still feel you have the reflexes, I know Gary's 49, and you still feel you can get the job done, well, you know, there's no age limitations. Uh, we, we've, we've seen uh, jockeys who have been uh, increased in age uh, compete against the younger folks. And, heck, you know, when Bill Shoemaker won his last derby, uh, was he uh, something like 58 or something like that, John? Maybe he helped yeah. me out. But he was he was well well into his career toward the end of it. But here he is outsmarting all the all the youngsters. So uh, you know, let's see what happens. If if, if Gary feels good and healthy, and uh, he gets some decent horses to ride, uh, you know, this could be a really interesting spring. Well, I was in on the uh, uh, press release today uh, w- with him, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, he was very forthright in. in you know, explaining everything, and he really thought this thing through. He was not going to do it unless he was 100%. And he says his knees right now are 100%. I mean, he's got uh, a nutritionist. He's got a, uh, a psychological, a sports psychologist. Uh, he's got a personal trainer that he says is uh, second to none. And he says they are literally, you know, they are intentionally putting him through processes that are testing his knee. So he'll know, are you feeling pain? And he's saying no. That I got out of that, Rich, was the risk is worth the reward at this time of my life. Well, if he can come up with a big horse, 
it'll all be worth it. You know, I, I went through something like this uh, kind of early in my career when I was back in New York working for, for Naira in the publicity department, uh, uh, a Hall of Fame jockey named uh, Manuel Icaza. Oh, he had to come man. back after a long, you know, retirement. And he actually had some success, but uh, one of the physical problems he had, he had a real bulky knee, and it got to the point where he just couldn't continue. But I remember when he came back, that was a big story, you know, back in the, uh, must have been the early 80s, John. But the main Icaza rode for a little while, won some races, but his knee wouldn't allow him to ride on a regular basis, he had to quit again. But, you know, Gary said his knee feels great, and, you know, that's that was one of the things that was bothering him was, was his knees. Well, anyhow, we need to move along here because you are one of the country's best handicappers, in my opinion, and our listeners love to cash tickets. So I threw a couple challenges at you. Uh, some, I think, we're just looking for the second horse. The other ones are going to provide us with a, a very – interesting field but with a chance for some big prices the first one i allude to at that time of the year rich three-year-olds are starting to face each other and out at santa anita it's the grade three sham uh some of these horses are starting to stretch out a little bit um it's a one mile race at I think when the windows close, there'll be an odds-on favorite in here trained by Doug O'Neill in Golden Sense. Yeah, I, I think the race has to go through Golden Sense. Uh, he uh, was not eligible, I believe, for the Breeders' Cup, so he ended up going to the Delta Jackpot race, and that was a million-dollar purse, so I don't think uh, he had to twist Doug O'Neill's arm to, to go there and, and pick up the 600000 This is a pretty nice horse, and... Uh, for example, I, I know this horse pretty well because I'm in a horse racing or history league, and, and I picked this horse up, and so so I did get the champagne stakes at least for some points in my uh, my stable. But uh, the race goes through him, and he certainly is one of the leading candidates uh, so far at this point for the three-year-olds. And uh, some of these others, uh, there, there's a, a couple coming out of their maiden win, and uh, it's uh, you know hard to get too excited about them. Although Menando for uh, Baffert was. Uh, was someone that they liked, but it took him a while to four starts to, to break his maiden. I thought my second choice in the race behind Golden Sense was uh, the Den's Legacy. And uh, if, if you notice, just the way uh, this horse has been ridden by Garrett Gomez the last four starts, I think they finally found uh, a style that this horse is comfortable with. He, he likes to be taken back and make one run. I know those races have been on grass, but I'm pretty sure that's the style he's going to use on the dirt uh, this weekend, John. Yeah, and again, the, the two horses you looked at are the ones I looked at. Uh, Mandano, maybe he's just coming into his own, uh, out of the Baffert barn, and obviously put in his best race with a with a solid 89 buyer, which is the best of anybody coming into this race, uh, right alongside Golden Sense. Um, and, and then you got Den's Legacy and Dry Summer. Again, I'm looking at horses underneath for the trifecta, but all their best efforts have uh, as you stated, Rich, uh, have been on the turf. So it'll be fun. But uh, Golden Sense, you know, his only uh, bad mark was a second behind probably the Eclipse Award winner, Shanghai Bobby. So I think he's the one to key it in Santa Anita uh, in the Sham Stakes. Now, uh, a few races beyond the Sham, we come up with the, with, with the San Pasquale. Uh, it's, a, it's a grade two race. It'll be going a mile and a sixteenth and uh, brings together – an interesting field, and one horse who can just go all out, and that will be Coyle, because it's already been announced that uh, after this race, Coyle is uh, shuffling off to the stallion barn. Yeah, Baffert's got uh, four horses in this race, so you talk about having a race surrounded, but uh, 
coil makes the most sense to me because, uh, as you just said, John, this is the last race of uh, his career. Uh, Bob Baffert has always liked this horse, and this horse has been a, a tremendous trier. He's a point given who was a horse very near and dear to Bob that almost won the Triple Crown his year. And uh, this this is a nice animal, and this horse has tactical speed. Martin Garcia rides. I think the race goes through him. Um, I thought Jacito was a horse who uh, has started to finally come around. I mean, this horse, if you remember, as a two-year-old, was very highly rated off the Norfolk going into the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Yeah. Uh, kind of bolted <laughs> to, to the outside, and then uh, they switched barns from uh, Mike Mitchell to Bob Baffert. And he was really never uh, able to you know, get to the level that they're hoping for. But here we are as a five-year-old. Uh, two of his last three races have been very good. Uh, I would just draw a line through the Breeders' Cup Marathon. That was a, kind of a pathetic they, attempt. Yeah, they ended up easing him in that. It was like, well, let's take a shot. This isn't working. I'm guessing Talamo was told if he starts to labor, just wrap up. Yeah, the, the jockeys uh, will protect the horse if they're not gonna, not doing well. But the the, the last race was exceptional with Leigh yeah. Perot. This horse sat way back and absolutely exploded. I know he didn't beat much, but uh, it was the kind of ability that they, they've thought this horse has had all along. So maybe he's finally on the right track. Well, he did uh, beat Trey's Barachos, uh, a horse that's uh, always been right there. He's closing in on the million-dollar mark. Uh, and, uh, you know, is one of those horses that you just can't, can't throw out. It seems like he's always knocking on the door, but, uh, but he's not getting in. But yeah, JC, though, I think, uh, is the other half of the story here outside of Coil. I mean, uh, the, uh, to jump up and hit a 100 buyer, uh, the fact that, uh, he, uh, loves the distance i mean he's got three career wins okay uh, almost four hundred thousand dollars all three career wins came at saturday's mile and the 16th distance yeah that's pretty good I, the thing with trace paracho is that uh kind of hit me though is i <clears throat> i looked at the racing for pps and uh, he's he's over nine at san anita if i remember correctly yep <laughs> his, his preferred track is hollywood he runs some of his best races of his career at hollywood but you know if uh you know, he's a nice horse, and if he, he if he can overcome that 0 for 9 goose egg, you know maybe he'll be a square price. Well, again, I I don't think he will, but I think he's a horse that that you got to keep in there. But I think we're talking about the three key horses in here: Coyle, Jay Sinto, and and Trey Barachos for those uh, winning pony listeners that uh, might be shopping for a trifecta that day. So, uh, not, nonetheless, it's going to be an interesting race, uh, particularly with it being uh, Coyle's uh, swan song. Well, let's move over to uh, the Big A, Rich, and here's a horse race that has an amazing history to it. I mean, uh, I'm sure a lot of people, if you just said, yeah, the Jerome, and they go, eh, the Jerome, well, the Jerome has only been run for 140 two times <laughs> if you want to go back in history uh aristides the derby winner in 1875 then you had champions like coal town in 48 hill prince in 50 bold ruler in 57 kelso in 60 a uh, carry back in 61 i mean uh you know we can move forward in time i mean uh Fupag won the race in, in 2000 so this is a can be a real springboard race uh for three-year-olds and i find this a very interesting and challenging race to handicap at Aqueduct. Uh, it'll be the eighth race. They're going a mile and 70, the grade two Jerome. Yeah, obviously in past years, uh, the Jerome was not run on uh, January 5th. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was in a premier part of the racing schedule. And uh, I just say all those Hall of Fame horses uh, 
uh, participated in it. As far as, uh, you know, who I like in this race, this horse has, this race has a lot of green horses, uh, John. There's a lot of horses who are unproven and, uh, quite a few, uh, you know, just broke their maiden or trying to get past the maiden win. But, um, I'm going to take a shot at the, the number three horse, Long River. This is an AP Indy and, uh, just looking at the, the PPs from the bottom up three races, uh, uh, this horse is not was not meant to sprint, so when they ran six for along to Belmont, I call that a test drive, and certainly was ice cold on the board at 15 to 1, but then when they stretched the horse out to a mile, the horse ran very well and lost to what the loam, who I think is a Pletcher colt, uh, maybe wrong about that, but uh, um, a couple of horses came out of that race to win next time out, Long River, who's in, uh, who's the source, and then also Mud Flats, uh, uh, who's the six horse, and then uh, one at a mile and 70. Uh, at Aqueduct to finally break his maiden, but he's, uh, you know, he's bred to go long and, uh, you know, the, the way the point system is for the Kentucky Derby, John, a lot of top trainers are being a lot more patient with their horses. So, you know, maybe, uh, this is part of the progression for Long River is to, to dip his toe in the water, uh, in, in a race like this. Uh, uh, I'm not even sure if the Jerome is worth any points, uh, uh, toward the Kentucky Derby, but, you know, give him some black type and some experience anyway. Um, as far as other horses I've been looking at, uh, about the two Vijack, uh, pretty interesting. Rudy Rodriguez, sprinter, now stretching yes, out. Yes, I, I think that's going to be my pick, to be honest with you. Yeah, he's uh, well. You, you know where he's going to be. He's probably going to be in front or very close to the front. Uh, Long River, I suspect, uh, coming off a 49 second half mile uh, in his maiden, was probably going to be uh, mid pack or even further back and, and make one run late. Uh, and Mudflats is an interesting horse. I just mentioned him. Uh, Eddie Keneally uh, trained him the first three starts, but now Doug O'Neill takes over, which makes me think this must be a private purchase. Um, but uh, this horse certainly uh, looks like has potential, and uh, I, I love Tappets. You probably love Tappets, too. Yeah, A lot of those uh, horses have a tremendous ability, turf or dirt. And you got about a minute to get out of here with uh, Richard Peck and Marshall's River at Gulfstream Park. So I'm going to put the pedal to the metal and ask you who you like. we got to wrap this up. Okay, I'll keep it quick. I, I don't have a morning line, but uh, the horse I'm going to go for is uh, hard not to like. This is a horse I actually bet in the Kentucky Oaks, which is his last her, her last start. Michael Matz trains uh, that takes over for Gail Cox, but uh, I thought this was a very talented filly and uh, now joins uh, a Hall of Fame trainer-type uh, barn. So uh, that's my top choice. My second choice is leading astray, and uh, my third choice in the race is uh, Heavenly Landing. Uh, well, I, I'm kind of like this Irish bred, uh, Chorakai. I know it didn't win much over in Europe, but it just looks like it's sitting on top of a, of a blowout effort. And, uh, again, I don't handicap with odds, so I have no idea what it's going to be. Joe Bravo just missed with this horse in the $100,000 South Beach. And, uh, you know, it's one for one at the distance. Uh, you know, I know she's a five-year-old mare, but I guess maybe she likes it over here. Yeah, and then the, the, tur- the uh, turf races at Gulfstream are phenomenal with that huge, wide, expansive turf course. Uh, they're usually like a chaotic uh, stretch run. Horses come from every direction, and I guess the only thing I would suggest is don't take a short price in the Marshawas River. Find some value. All right. Well, thanks so much. Again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we've been speaking with Rich Ng uh, from the Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, and the, they're calling us some handicaps. You can check him out on Twitter at Rich Ang for the number Pro Pick. Rich, great to hear your voice again. Thanks so much for being with us. Hey, thanks, John. Anytime. 
All right. Well, you said that the last time, and that's why I keep calling you. All right. Jen Royds from Three Chimneys, Rich Ng from Las Vegas Review Journal. We try to bring you exciting guests, and I hope you're enjoying the show. Thanks so much for tuning in to Winning Ponies. Remember, when you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.